There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the seer-casseer of the podcast. Don't forget to close the door on the way out. And I'm joined by the absolutely nothing has happened this week of the podcast, Joe Hill. Seriously, nothing has happened. And finally, the close my eyes and type autocorrected name of the podcast. Let's see what my phone can do. It's Derek Dover. Derek, how are you doing? <laughs> uh, I'm very well, thanks. Yeah, I'm just uh, I'm having a little bit of time off work, um, which I realise sounds like means I've been suspended for some horrific misdemeanour. <laughs> it's not that at all. I'm just having some annual leave. Um, so I was feeling quite relaxed until I listened to the uh, the preview of the Chelsea, you know, the Chelsea supporter uh, section this morning, and then did a bit of research on Chelsea. And now I feel more tense than I did uh, before I started my annual leave. So, but other than that, oh good, thanks. Yeah. And a man who lives life in perpetual annual leave, it's Joe Hill. Joe, how are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say I've been on leave for about a year now, and uh, <laughs> it's it's going great. No, I'm d- I'm doing good. I'm I'm looking forward to the game. Actually, I think it's going to be a fun game. You know, no matter what happens, it's going to be tough for us to get a result. But I think I think it's going to be really fun. And my housemate's actually a Chelsea fan, so we're both quite excited to watch it together. So it should be nice. Joe, I've I've, I've missed you. I, 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 only you out of the, all of us would say that the Chelsea game looks like fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just too too much positivity there. But. <laughs> yeah, it's not my idea of fun, to be honest. But. When you're a jazz musician, you know, you sort of let things roll, don't you? So <laughs> yeah. maybe, maybe yeah, that's, exactly. that's the attitude we need, really, isn't it? But as I mentioned in the intro, there's really been very, very little news. Um, Joe, you mentioned that uh, LUFC Stats mentioned that Bielsa has had a thousand days as a coach. Yeah. We talked a lot about Bielsa, I think, um, recently in terms of the longevity side of things. But a thousand days as a coach, it, it, it's, it's flown by, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think Stats was saying it's the first uh, the first time since Simon Grayson, which feels like ages ago. Um, and yeah, it's just quite amazing, really, that uh, like you say, we've sp- spoken about Bielsa quite a lot, but I never, ever thought that he would stay this long. Um I thought it was going to be one season. I thought he was going in Spygate when that happened. Um, so to have him stay for as long as Simon Grayson um, is amazing, really. 
It must be his long one of his longest stints as a manager, even including international management. I, I can't remember him doing huge stints with with either of the the national sides that he was at as well. So we really are not in Kansas anymore, Toto territory. <laughs> Darren, I'll go to you. So much of this comes down to for me the fact that the club were never going to sort themselves out until they had some sort of continuity for for a long period, and it's it's turned out to have been. Bielsa and and uh, three years of him. What's your sort of general take on on this side of things? I mean, was, was the was the club ever going to just sort of luck their way out of of where we were without someone like Bielsa? No, absolutely not. I I kind of felt um, throughout the the Chilino and the Bates eras and and all that 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 for one thing we were never going to attract a head coach with the kind of required gravitas to sort the club out and and that what needed to happen was that that we needed to hire somebody um once once we were in a slightly more settled situation who um now people are going to misinterpret what I'm about to say so I'm going to caveat before I say it I'm not I am not saying that Marcelo Bielsa is bigger than Leeds United right that's what I'm not saying but what I am saying is that we needed somebody who was bigger than the job who's kind of who's who's um track record who's career whose outlook um, was was bigger than the set of circumstances that, that Leeds United found themselves in at the moment. And until we found that, we were never going to be able to get out of the spinning our wheels perpetually in mid-table in the championship. So, you know, f- for me, he's, he's reinvigorated the entire the entire club is is reinvigorated. The entire outlook of the club is reinvigorated. The entire outlook of the fan base. He's got people interested again. Um, you know, for me, I think I think I we were just talking before about um about how long uh, Joe and I and a couple of others had been involved in this podcast uh, and it's about it's about a year and I think I said on my very first appearance on the podcast that um that f- for me what he'd done was he'd he'd really reinvigorate reinvigorated a love that wasn't dormant uh, not by any st- I was still going to games but it was a real fucking chore and I really didn't enjoy it and I didn't get anything out of it. And, I, and you know, there'd be loads of times and I'd be at the ground saying to my mate or, or, or whoever I was there with, um, you know, there must be something better to do than this on a Saturday afternoon. Um, and, and you know, it, fr- from from the moment he walked through the door and from the moment I saw the first home game versus Stoke, um, I've just I've just completely been... You know, in a situation where I'm interested, where I'm engaged, where where I'm enjoying what's happening, so it, it's just a complete transformation of the entire football club. Yeah, and I think there's a level of professionalism as well, isn't it? We were talking yesterday about that video that um, was going around. The video where Bielsa's talking about putting the gym in between the training ground and the ch- train- changing rooms at, at Athletic Club in Bilbao, and we had a long conversation about whether or not he is over the top in in certain respects, but I think that's what we needed. We needed someone who was going to just have a a, a wholesale root and branch reinterpretation of what was going on at the club and, and just have that attitude that, you know, there's better ways of doing this. You know, if it, even though it might seem as though football is all about marginal gains, when it came to Leeds United, we just needed that wholesale change that that got us on a sort of even keel, made us a little bit more professional, and made us aware of the fact that actually, with sensible actions, you can you can get a long way towards being a good football club. Absolutely, and it's. I think a lot of Bielsa's stuff is about. In, is, it, he insists on standards, which I think had been missing for a long, long time. And I think, I think that once you take away a lot of his kind of, you know, it, it gives quite long 
and rambling explanations for things in press conferences and sometimes his reasoning doesn't entirely make logical sense like and I think that video that you just referenced is one of those but actually if you break it down to kind of fundamentals does it make perfect sense to have a logical workflow where you go from the dressing room into the gym out to the training pitches now to me that makes perfect sense and and I can see why why if you just think about it on that level you know, just having a basic fundamental level of logic to, to people's workflow, to their day, you know, just things like when he rearranged the, the, the car park at Thorpe Arts because he wanted people to have a smooth and professional start to the day. I think it's, it's, it's things like that which don't make any difference on the pitch, but in, in, in terms of people's attitudes to the environment, in terms of the way that they engage in what he's doing, um, I, th- I think that it, it com- you know it's a completely transformational thing to to the days of Chilino emptying the pool and making players bring their own packed lunches and socks because he didn't want to pay for it. You know I think it, it you you really needed somebody who had an idea of how to set the culture at a club. Um, so I'm very very grateful to him for that. I'm working on a, a Celtic podcast next week for Football Today. Uh, just sort of asking what went wrong at Celtic, and a lot of those there's so much overlap there between what went wrong with them and, and the sorts of things that went wrong with us. And I was reading some interviews with the players from last season with when they were under the tutelage of Neil Lennon. And it was fascinating that that they made a real point, I think the players at one point, to, to, to talk about how the training situation was not working for them. They were they they were saying, we're working as hard as we were working under Brendan Rodgers, but we're not seeing those results on the field. And I think, that, again, that kind of comes into into the whole Bielsa uh, story, really, doesn't it? It's the it's this notion of having this this logical approach, which at every level there's a reason for why you're doing things, and I think players need that. They need to know that there is structure in in everything that that they they want to be told this is what you're doing this is what you're doing they don't want to be the ones who have to worry about having to sort out the issues and I think that definitely comes into it it doesn't and you know it's like I manage people in my day job and I use those those, like principles which I've stolen directly from Bielsa (laughs) all the time like I, I you know that that idea that you wouldn't ask someone to do something without having a good reason for it um just really underpins you know good sensible people management yeah, and you want to see just how high pressing Darren's team are. They're just incredible. Oh, mate, they're, they're, they're amazing. <laughs> Joe, Joe Hill, I'll yeah. get to you finally on this. Have you got any thoughts on on all of this that, that we've been talking about? No, I think it's absolutely right what what you're both saying, and I completely agree with you. It just to have someone whose philosophy is so set in stone, and they know exactly what they're doing from day one. Um, he made it easy for the players to buy into it, and credit to the players for fully buying into it because it can't have been easy. Like you sometimes you forget that the hard work that the players are doing every every single day um when you just rock up on a Saturday and see them play but um you know they're going in for long shifts every day pretty much um and they've really bought into Bielsa's philosophy entirely and it's just great to have that um sort of synergy between the players the management and the board um for the first time that I can ever remember being a Leeds United fan yeah, for sure. Um, there's a very interesting interview with Stuart Dallas on the Super 6 podcast that uh, I recommend you go and listen to. And I think that's where you really start seeing the difference between Bielsa and everyone else. And Dallas talks about his wife being heavily pregnant during, I think it was during pre-season, and this is before the training ground is sorted out at Thorpe Arch, and the players were expected to basically move into a, the hotel next door to Thorpe Arch and do pretty much full 
two-day slot so you'd go in on the monday do a double session in the morning go to the hotel sleep come back and do a double session in the afternoon uh, then stay over at the at the hotel and then do the same the next day before we being able to go home and dallas asked whether or not he could go and uh, in home in those breaks rather than going to the hotel because his uh, his wife's obviously from northern ireland and doesn't have family over here and the 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 uh, training staff were like no you can't do that and you know I, I suppose that in certain senses there's there's a level of brutality to that but at the at the on the other hand it's that idea that that starts coming through that you don't think other f- professional footballers will have as much which is if we're going to do this we're going to do this properly we're going to have no excuses for for it not working out um and i think that is something that has has just really bled through the team now and you get this a group of players now who are just totally dedicated to to doing the things that they are expected to do and uh, and we see the results of of that on the on the field on a on a weekend so yeah no no complaints for me but before we make this into a a podcast entirely about Bielsa I suppose we should we should talk about um Chelsea before we do that though if you are listening to this on Thursday the day that this episode uh, episode comes out then this evening we have a new show going out on our video feed, so on YouTube and on Periscope on our Twitter, um, called Autors List. And this li- this uh, series is all about, about scouting, um, looking... Well, we're, we're going to create our own version of the fabled list that Victor Orta has in one of his many notebooks, uh, where he has uh, potential talent in each position on the Leeds United team so that he can um, bring players in if and when they're needed. So tonight we're going to be looking at left-backs. I'm going to be joined by Josh Hobbs and also Joe Donoghue of Leeds Live and Scouted Football. So that should be fun. That's going to go out live at 8pm. But don't worry if you've missed that. You can go back and watch it on our YouTube channel or you can listen to it on the very same aggregator that this is podcast is coming out on. So there we are. So it's going to be on YouTube. That's why Hobbs is coming on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) This week I was lucky enough to speak to Ram Srinivas of Market Insights, who's also a Chelsea fan, and he had this to say about Chelsea. Well, Ram, hi, how are you doing? Hi, I am. Uh, I'm doing okay. Just happy to be back on uh, All Stats on for the third time now. Yeah, I'm just counting my blessings. <laughs> yeah, and this is the second time we've had you on to talk about Chelsea, but this is the first time we've had you on to talk about Chelsea when Frank Lampard isn't the manager. So it must be hard for you. It must be hard for me. It must be easy for you, I suppose. I can see your face light up right now. But I was kind of slightly disconcerted by the way he left. But then I also came to realize in time that he came to Chelsea to serve a purpose. And then in a year, that purpose had been served. And maybe it would have been okay for someone else with slightly more tactical nows and so on and so forth to, to take over. And that has happened. So I've come to terms with it. So yeah, it's okay. I just hope he you know, goes back to the championship and rebuilds his managerial career properly. The last time we spoke was back in December before that 3-0 loss at Stamford Bridge. But it feels like we're having this conversation from scratch, really, because since then, Frank Lampard has gone, Thomas Tuchel has come in, and Chelsea are back in the top four. So Thomas Tuchel is a good development, yeah? Yeah, yeah, he is a, he is a good development. I was, uh, you know, a few games in, I was a little sceptical of people saying, oh, he's coming and done a really good job. And I suppose we'll come to that, but... Overall, it has been it has been good. I, I must admit, we look we look good, and uh, he makes our squad look better than it seemed to be earlier in the season. So, yeah, I think yeah, overall, it's a very big net positive. You've mentioned there about the manner in which Lampard was let go, and I think I'm sure 
this comes down in some part to the fact that the irony of all this is that Lampard's reign wasn't actually as bad as maybe the league position made out that it was, certainly according to the underlying numbers. Has Thomas Tuchel made Chelsea better or was Lampard the victim of that horrible word that analysts use, variance? Yeah, funny thing is Lampard's numbers were really good even last season. Uh, and then this season they continued being good, perhaps not as good as they used to be uh, last season. But I-, I think something definitely went amiss this season. I think it had to do with the fact that the squad was quite bloated and there were too many players who used to be regulars earlier and now they weren't quite on the same terms uh, when, as far as playing time goes. And they didn't have the same relationship with Lampard as under previous managers. And I feel like things just soured in the background behind the scenes. And there's obviously an element of Lampard approaching games with similar-ish tactical plans every other game, and that didn't help either. So while the numbers were good, I feel that there was a reason that the team weren't hitting the expected numbers. And, you know, I've looked at a lot of managerial numbers in different leagues in different countries, and it's a statistical thing, new manager bounce. A new manager comes in, and, you know, it could be explained with a team that was formerly underperforming their expected metrics, just basically reverting to the mean or hitting their metrics. So while variance does obviously play a part, I feel like there's a sort of reason to trigger uh, trigger the variance taking place. I, I know it kind of, so- kind of sounds um, a little oxymoron, but yeah, I do feel like some intangibles are in play and a new manager coming in sort of triggers those things. So that has happened. So it, it wasn't, I'm not saying that they would have um, they would have just reclaimed this form if Lampard had stayed for another ten games or something. But uh, yeah, they, they weren't they weren't performing badly. It's just things. Other a lot of other things were happening that maybe resulted in performances being bad. And there's there's nothing to suggest that they would have stopped. So yeah, that's my take. In terms of tactically, what has Thomas Tuchel done since arriving at Chelsea? What do his Chelsea look like, play style wise? Oh uh, well, I'd say the first major change is he's uh, kind of settled on a. Three, three, four, three. Uh, I say three, four, three because it could either be a three, four, one, two, three, four, two, one, depending on how you look at it. But that's been like the major shape-wise change. I mean, first game he came in and played Callum Hudson-Odoi as a as a wing back, but he was basically another winger. So uh, I think that's been one change. The shape. The second change is he's tended to employ a more defensive possession-oriented approach. Whether that may have had to do with us playing more low to mid-ish block teams in his first five or six games, maybe. But I did observe that in his time at PSG and towards the end of his time at Dortmund, he did prefer his teams to have uh, a lot more control of the game through possession um, rather than, you know, the the now stereotypical gigan pressing approach that people tend to associate with German managers, especially those coming out of Dortmund. So... I think that that has been another change. And and finally, I think the, the thing that I feel is the most tangible to be able to comment on, given he's just been here for a short while, is I think our pressing has slightly more cohesion to it now. Under Lampard, it was just kind of all over the place. No no pressing structure, really. But now there is, uh, there is an element of organization about the press. So, yeah, I'd say these three salient changes or features. You've mentioned there that Chelsea feel a little bit more sensible now, more solid. Do you think that's because that's the way that Thomas Tuchel wants to play? Or do you think that there's a sense in which this comes down to the fact that Chelsea had a reputation for being a little bit more dicey in defensive transition under Frank Lampard? Oh, no, I think... I think he definitely is. Um, he definitely is better in defending against the transition. I think that he... Uh, I think that may be part of the reason why he's actually used 
Jorginho and Kovacic in midfield. I mean, he, he seems to prefer that midfield combination anyway. Uh, and it becomes much more of a question of l- allow these midfielders to control possession and guard against defensive transition, even though it's not it's not among their strengths. I mean, it's definitely not among Jorginho's strengths to guard against defensive transition. But when they're restricted to more of their corridors of play and their responsibilities, in contrast to under Lampard, where it was a 4-3-3, you know, so it, it was usually left to just one midfielder to guard against defensive transition. So that way... Yeah, I suppose Tuchel has changed that and made us a little more solid. So obviously we have more of the ball and now you have midfielders whose responsibilities against defensive transition are more clearly defined. So there is that. You've said that the squad maybe looks better than it did under Lampard with Tuchel in charge. I'm interested in those players who you think have surprised you in that regard. Who are the players that you thought would play but haven't played and the players that you thought wouldn't play who have played? Yeah, Jorginho. <laughs> As I just mentioned, he was um, he's just overall, uh, over his time at Chelsea, probably been like the most Marmite thing ever. Uh, actually, not maybe not Marmite because there was probably more of a more of a general acquiesce that he was just not very good. But I think the, the role that Tuchel is utilizing him in brings, I mean, it, it helps him play a lot better. He, he has a lot more time on the ball. Um, you know, it's not his prim- primary responsibility to play out of a press, for example. And him playing in a midfield two in a defensive defensive possession system, I think that just helps masks mask his weaknesses a lot more. Uh, so he's been one. And so basically, you know how I mentioned the a bunch of players whom Lampard's relationship had kind of soured with. So basically, all of them have begun playing again, except maybe Kepa. So and well, I'll. Kepa played one game, so you know I think a lot of Tuchel has been a lot of Tuchel has been preservation. So he's kind of gone into preservation mode and set up the team to play. So there are multiple dimensions of preservation. One of them is preserving relationships. So Rudiger has come back into the side. Jorginho is playing a lot more. Uh, Marcus Alonso, who has not played since you know West Brom when he apparently stormed off and got into the team bus after being taken off. Uh, these three players have come in. And Giroud has been starting and playing a lot more. So, you know, I've been kind of surprised by the fact that Alonso has come in, given he was almost completely in exile. But then maybe it also makes sense, given he's best as a wing-back and not a full-back. So, yeah, just to, just a more narrowed down on an answer to your question, I'd say Jorginho, Alonso. Uh, and a slightly more unexpected one would be Andreas Christensen, who has come in. And again, you know, preservation is also about bringing the most out of the players that you have at disposal. So I mentioned how he's getting the most out of Jorginho and Alonso by playing them in their preferred positions. The same is happening with Andreas Christensen, who had the best spell of football in his life um, under Antonio Conte in the middle of a back three, right? 3-4-3. Three, three. Uh, similarly, at Borussia Mönchengladbach under Andre Schubert when he was in the middle of a back three. So he's come back into that position and he is he's flying, to be honest. He's been really good. In the last few games when he's been stepping in for Thiago Silva. So yeah, I think these three players have surprised me the most. But it also it also makes sense as to why they're playing well. So you, you can see how this all kind of ties into Tuchel playing pandemic ball with the 3-4-3 and re-establishing a lot of relationships, adding value to a lot of players who had maybe uh, become prey to sunk cost fallacy. So all, all of that's happening. So these players have surprised me. So let's talk a little bit about Leeds and Chelsea. What did you make of the last game between these two? <laughs> It was enjoyable for me because I thought I thought you guys couldn't really deal with that press. To be honest, uh, I think I think it was a pretty one-sided game. I hope, I hope I'm not going to receive belters from 
your fellow podcasters and people who listen to this after that but i i didn't really think you guys were in the game i thought lampard played that really well i thought he set up to win the ball high and just basically capitalize on transition which is what you guys are vulnerable to to be fair so uh, for all the talk of lampard not being that tactically astute i thought he kind of played that game pretty well maybe it was leads you know extra extra fire in the belly but yeah i i i didn't i didn't think it was much of a cont- contest in the last game how do you think things will look this time around under tuchel I have a feeling it might go similarly to be honest you know so i mentioned how how tuchel had mostly adopted a defensive possession kind of style against teams like wolves and burnley um manchester united spurs he but then you know recently what's happened is against maybe southampton second half liverpool all of the game everton he also showed us a side of his management where he was kind of willing to mix it up according to the opponent so I think it's common knowledge by now that Liverpool can be left vulnerable in certain wide areas because of their ultra high line and how their full backs play and I think he just basically exploited that all game against Liverpool and fashioned out many chances that way uh similarly Everton had a weakness on their right uh and he expected he expected a lot more man to man marking in the attacking midfield areas or so he said against Everton so he kind of tweaked his game a little that way Southampton started off with slightly more defensive possession but then Chelsea began taking advantage of the space that Southampton left in behind when they started pressing more intensely in the second half. So, yeah, I think I don't think Tuchel is going to come into Leeds with an especially defensive possession oriented mindset given Leeds are Leeds. So, I think I think he might he he'd be he'd be wise to look look at how Lampard set up against Leeds and I think he will do that and I think he'll kind of lead with his four man press. and kind of basically look to do the same thing which is try to win the ball back up high not let you guys play out and um yeah make make a lot more runs in behind in my in my opinion so i think you should despite the fact that tukul has changed things since coming in i think you guys should maybe expect a slightly more similar game uh you know regardless of a different shape and everything you've mentioned that chelsea have now almost exclusively moved to this 3-4-3 but you have said that there are two different front lineups that they can use they can use either two 10s and a forward or two forwards and a 10 which of these iterations do you think that Tuchel will go for against Leeds yeah i think i think he'll basically go with the same formation as against liverpool so i think it's probably going to look more like a 3-4-2-1 uh and you know Tammy Abraham doesn't seem to be getting much of a look in these days so I expect a similar shape 3421 with uh maybe Mount and Hudson Odoi as the two tens and Timo Werner definitely as a number 9 to exploit some space in behind so that's yeah that's how I expect it to go You said that this is potentially quite a tricky game for Leeds and I do tend to agree with you but do you think that there are any perceived weaknesses in Tuchel's Chelsea that Leeds could exploit It's not that easy to pinpoint a weakness right now as uh at the risk of sounding other uh, at the risk of sounding uh, pretty pretty on the fence about a new manager um he's actually handled every game very very well if if at all i would say that leeds should do their best to dribble through central areas in my opinion because i mean i've mentioned how they kind of use defensive possession as a means to guard against transition the best so if you have two midfielders sitting like Kovacic and Jorginho where uh Jorginho is basically just going to sit and uh, Kovacic's main responsibility is going to be like shuttling through the lines with his ball carrying ability i think that for example when leads are going to play out of the back then 
I feel like Chelsea might choose to press with a kind of front four. So you basically got the two tens. You've got Warner. And then you've got maybe one of the midfielders getting drawn to whoever is playing defensive midfielder, maybe. So if you have Pascal strike, strike, (laughs) if you have him playing as your defensive midfielder, then one of the midfielders may come out to cover him. So in the in that in that case, there's a little gap in the center. So this doesn't this technically doesn't count as defensive transition because the other team is building up. So if if somehow you manage to get the ball out wide and then you manage to get it into that central pocket that's been left and then dribble through that central channel, then it, I feel like I feel like it's going to cause a lot of havoc for Chelsea. It's going to cause a lot of havoc to their defensive structure. So if, for example, I think Rafinha would be pretty important. So if you if you manage to get him slightly narrower uh, on the right or on the left and dribbling dribbling in that central half space, then that might be a very potent means of attacking Chelsea. How are Chelsea looking injury wise at the moment? Injury wise, uh, Thiago Silva has not been playing for a few games, so he's on he's on fitness watch. Uh, I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure as as to whether he'll make this game or not, but he's he's definitely been having some issues which is why Christensen is being playing so that's that's one doubt uh otherwise everyone is fit outside of Tammy Abraham who no one knows what's really happening with because he had an ankle injury against um against uh Villa or Southampton he he sustained an ankle injury he came off and then he played the next game and then he's just not been seen since basically so it's it's going to be in 50-50 on whether Tuchel is just not selecting him which is outrageous in my opinion or whether he's just not been very fit so yeah, it's if Tammy Abraham is injured, then that's another one to add to injury watch. But apart from him and Thiago Silva, it's just yeah, the whole the whole selection is present. So how will you line up on Saturday then? Yeah, three four two one. So Mendy in goal, Christensen. Um, if Thiago Silva is actually, I think Christensen deserves to keep his place either way. So Christensen mid- middle of the back three, flanked by Aspeliqueta on the right, Rudiger on the left. No surprises there. Uh, I think Jorginho and Kovacic in midfield, Alonso, Alonso and uh, Reese James as the fullbacks, and Mount as one of the tens, Hudson Odoi as the other ten, and Timo Warner up front. This is a question that I ask all of the people who come on this show. I'm interested in which Chelsea players you think need to perform well if they're to beat Leeds on Saturday. Mason Mount. I think Mason Mount needs to perform well for us to beat anyone, to be honest. He's uh, very, very crucial for us. So, Nowadays, he's, he's he's not the first-pass kind of guy as he used to be under Lampard. He's more of a second-pass kind of guy, receiving um, receiving behind the midfield line, more so in, in an advanced role, obviously. And yeah, there, there's a lot more there's a lot more final third responsibility on his shoulders now. And he's taking charge, to be fair. So, But I think he's very crucial to driving attacking play. So Mount needs to perform very well. And another one I'll say is uh, Timo Werner. <laughs> the guy hasn't been scoring, but I think he's... His ability to stretch play and receive in behind defense, you know, make make deep runs basically, is going to be important to us uh, being able to beat Leeds because Hudson Odoi and James uh, are going to be attempting those kind of balls, in my opinion. So, Warner's movement, Warner's ability to receive and hopefully his finishing uh, are going to be up to the mark and help Chelsea beat Leeds. I never ask people on this show for predictions because, as you well know, football is heavily impacted by variance but I am interested in how you think the game is going to go how do you think the ebb and flow of the game will go on Saturday 
yeah i think it will be as as i think every encounter between these two sides will go because of you know the way they are set up in general i think it will be a very fiercely contested game um i think i think chelsea won't score early um because i'm not sure i'm not sure tuchel will immediately go for the same kind of approach as he did against liverpool i feel like he will set up the same way but he might start to attack the space only gradually throughout the game like he did against southampton for example rather than going going for it from the off so i expect there to be um a decent number of shots by both sides i don't think leeds will be shut out but i think chelsea will ultimately triumph uh i i i realize i kind of said this a similar thing for the last game i didn't expect it to i didn't expect chelsea to be so comfortable in that game to be fair um but i think they won't be comfortable in this game either so i that was my prediction for last time and it's my prediction for this time as well i think i think uh, i think leeds will will give them problems they'll probably probably score one goal um again as well despite the fact that chelsea have been pretty good defensively but i think at the end of the day chelsea will just have too much too much an attack um to to not win this game well ram it's always a pleasure to chat to you how can our listeners find out what you're doing in terms of football content yeah you can just follow me on twitter um just follow the at uh, through the tweet that John puts out. <laughs> That's a guy who regrets his Twitter handle right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or or you can um you can follow at insight market MRKT uh on Twitter, which is the football uh analysis consultancy that I run. Uh also just my band put out an album recently <laughs> on all on all streaming platforms. It's called Meso as in Mesozoic period. Uh, it's called Meso. My band is Project Mishram. We play we play progressive fusion music, just Indian classical fused with every Western genre you can think of. So yeah, go, go listen to it if you like. And I can confirm that Ram's band is very good. The music is great. So if you are interested in in checking them out, do check out Project Mishra. But Ram, thanks again for coming on. It's always a pleasure to have you on. No worries. Pleasure. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So, give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for a limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. So that was Ram Srinivas of Market Insights. Joe, let's kick off with you. What sort of ideas were brought out in your listening to Ram? Yeah, well, it was a, f- a fantastic listen. I thought Ram was really clear and um, really gave me some more ideas about how Tuchel's uh, team is going to play. Um, the The question that I just had coming out of the end of it was um, whether whether the game could benefit um, our two strikers. 
Uh, that's that's if we do go two up front because we're coming up against a back three. Um, that's kind of the assumption. Um, we know that Robert's best position um, is probably a number nine. I think he would probably say the same thing. And I don't know about Rodrigo, but my guess is that he would also say that he's best as a nine. Um, so I think out of the two of them, whichever one of them uh, plays with Bamford, um, is going to get a really big chance to show what they're made of because it's not often that we do get to play two strikers up front and neither one of them seem to be able to displace Bamford um, when there's only one number nine. Um, so I'm really looking forward to seeing a good performance from either one of those to really stake their claim um, and and sh- and prove to Bielsa and prove to the fans that number nine is where they need to be playing. Yeah, this is this is really interesting. I think we saw against Wolves most recently the 3-4-3 coming out and I think that was probably one of the few examples where we've played the 4-4-2 with Tyler Roberts starting and it felt to me a little bit more natural uh, in, a, in terms of the pressing sequence because Roberts could sort of sit behind Bamford in possession as, a, as an almost like a 10 but then obviously out of possession when the ball was in their, um, in their defensive build-up then um, he could push out and, and help uh, Bamford in, in the pressing. Um, I'll, I'll push this over to you Darren. Which what which of the two do you expect to be started? I think that's a really good, really good question, and I, I'm, you know, I have to say I'm not entirely sure because I mean, is is Rodrigo ready for for ninety minutes? Is Rodrigo ready for ninety minutes at the intensity which he's likely going to have to press, given that Chelsea put a much higher value on possession than they used that you know than they necessarily used to do? Um, I, I suspect that we'll see we'll see Tyler Roberts start and and Rodrigo come on maybe at half time or 60 minutes um because I think I think Tyler um you know for all that people give him at pelters um and, and and you know we've spoken about that before I think I think that in terms of the press I think I think he is more effective than Rodrigo and um, I think if he's if he's able to play in a position where he can drop off from the nine into the ten position and pick up balls in space I think there's a better chance of him influencing the game um we've seen him do that before a couple of times, I think about the the game against Derby, where he set one of the goals up by dropping off from the centre backs into the midfield area and and threading a ball through for for a runner, and that might you know that might be something that we see. Um, so I suspect that I suspect it will be that way around, and that Rodrigo will will come on in the second half for 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 one of the other two, and I'm not, I'm not necessarily certain that it will be for Roberts because um, I think I think. Bamford is going to have to do a lot of running um, on Saturday, and I think that it, you know, that that I think it would be wise to to hold either Rodrigo or Roberts back for for the for the second half, just to kind of make sure that we've got some reinforcements for 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 the legs um, in in the second half. Yeah, for sure. In the last podcast, I think we were pretty deferential to Roberts, and and then I went back and I did a video analysis, which went out on our Patreon account. Um, where I just watched through the first half again and just sort of narrated um, the game tactically, and I think doing that, I'm a, probably a little bit more critical now of the of the way that Roberts played in in that game. I think he was poor against West Ham, and I, I wouldn't try and deny that. I think he's been good in other games though. And I think that's our general position, right? Is that is that Roberts is has been has been good. Um, has been better than the fan base made out, and I don't think that that one result one performance necessarily negates that. I do wonder whether or not, and this is something that I've I've toyed with the idea of putting out on well, in, in terms of talking about it on the Patreon. But um, I wonder whether or not Roberts 
feels the pressure of of having Rodrigo now fit and available because there is definitely correlation between him looking a little bit more nervy on the ball in the last game, um, knowing that Ro- Rodrigo is on the bench and ready to come on and replace him. So I'm I'm going to be fascinated to see if Roberts does start whether or not he he still looks to have that nervousness on the ball in, in the sense that when you're playing and you know that there's no one really who's going to come in behind you, I suppose you, you don't feel the pressure of having to do everything correct, right? Whereas I I have noticed that um, that, that he there's been certain times in his time under Bielsa where there hasn't been pressure and I think he's played a little bit better when he's not had to worry about his place. So again, this is very speculative. It's anecdotal. Um, but I wondered if, if either of you had any thoughts on on that. I think it's entirely possible. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I think when, when the club's record signing is, is kind of sat behind you waiting to take your place, I think that's bound to play into your thinking on some level. But I just also think that that the West Ham game didn't really suit him from the point of view that they they defended in a, in a very rigid way which denied space and Roberts tends to look good when 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 there is space so I think I think I'd need I'd need to see see him play again with Rodrigo on the bench and, and maybe over a period of time to just kind of establish whether that's a pattern or whether it's just a coincidence of the tactical plan of the opposition I agree with Darren in terms of the space thing um I think that Chelsea game is perhaps a bit set out uh, set out perhaps a bit better for Roberts um, in that he can receive the ball in between the two holding midfielders and the d- the defenders. Um, you know, I'm I'm picturing one of those balls that um Uente has proved that he he can play, where um it just splits um whoever it's going to be, Kante and Jorginho or Jorginho and Kovacic, and Roberts then receives it in that area, and then he can um set up Bamford perhaps. Um, I think. I can just see that happening. I can just see there being a bit more space uh, for Roberts between the lines. So um, I do agree that I think if it was up to me, I would start Roberts and then have Rodrigo on the bench. Um, but also, I mean, in terms, just to go back to what we were saying a couple of minutes ago in terms of the pressure that Roberts may or may not feel, I think you have to use it in a positive way. I think you have to use it to spur you on. The fact that Rodrigo's sitting on the bench and you're actually displacing him um, if, he, if he starts, that is... Um, you know, and you have to use that to sort of spur you on and inspire you rather than um, make you nervous. Um, so, yeah, fingers crossed if, if Roberts does play that he can have a good performance because I think it will be really beneficial for him. Yeah, I do think it's going to be tough. I, I think that Chelsea, you know, Chelsea are surprisingly quite conservative, I think, under Tuchel. Um whether or not that's a long-term thing for Tuchel or whether or not it's just something that he wants to start off with, getting the defence right and then and then maybe translating um, a little bit more attacking flamboyancy into the into the team, I don't know. But um, just watching back a, a lot of what they do, they obviously play with a back three. They have two wing-backs who, who can drop in either side and then they have a double pivot who, when the outside centre-back pushes across to press in wide areas, the 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 ball near centre midfielder on that on in the pivot will just drop in as well. And I think they do sit quite deep and they, they sort of rely on the fact that they've got elite forwards. You know, when you've got players like Mason Mount, uh, Hakim Ziyech, uh, Timo Werner, um, I guess even like players like Giroud, if you if you want to, to include them, Carl, Callum Hudson Adoy, you can afford to be a little bit more conservative and, and know that you'll as long as you can keep a clean sheet, you will have a good chance of creating chances that, that will give you a goal that will be enough to, to get the win. So I think that central area is going to be really congested for him. Um, so I'm, I'm interested to see how, how we play against that. But as Ram said, you know, there, there is a certain um, similarity between a lot of the teams that 
that um, Chelsea have played so far. So we don't really know what it's going to look like against Leeds so much. I did watch the I watched the Liverpool game back last night, the Chelsea Liverpool game, because I figured you know Liverpool similar-ish style to us. Okay, we're not going to be giving them quite so much space to run into behind, but in terms of like there'll be a higher press and and we will look to be quite attacking. I thought it'd be quite similar. And to be honest, I think a lot was made of the the Tuchel result against Liverpool because they were just quite solid and they did just win the ball back, ping it into into the space behind and see what happens, which isn't exactly rocket science. Um, but I, I do think that it, this is going to be a really tricky game for, for Roberts. So you're saying Tuchel's the same as David Moyes, basically? <laughs> well, look, yeah, in, in some respects, in some respects, there's a lot of similarities between West Ham and Chelsea, right, under Tuchel, insofar yeah. as they have those two holding... Mid- midfielders who who are there to sort of break down opposition play and and then release their their forwards quickly so um it's not going to be quite as i don't think it's going to be quite as high and pressy as as chelsea were the first time around but i do think it's going to be tricky to to break them down i mean with chelsea last time around they they did as because they were high and pressy we didn't really get much of a chance to to really go at them but in this i think in this iteration of the game i think we're getting the ball forward a little bit more losing it and then you know facing those quick turnovers and chelsea with all the best um intentions uh, with respect to West Ham, are a better club team than West Ham, so lots to be lots to be nervous about, I suppose. Let's go. Let's go and talk about the structure though, because I think we're already going to start. We're already sort of touching on the structure. So we, we've said that Chelsea play in a three four three, which means Leeds will counter that with a four four two, which is why Joe was talking about um, Roberts and Rodrigo. The, the questions there, Darren, you've got questions about their forward structure and how that's going to cause us problems, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because I was thinking about their... We haven't really faced this structure, I don't think, before, where you've got a kind of nine and then two tens, two tens effectively sat behind. And I think that creates a massive, massive headache for us in terms of who's going to pick up who's going to pick up those tens, whether we whether we put the, the fullbacks on them, which probably pulls the pulls the fullbacks quite narrow and leaves a lot of space for, for Chelsea's wingbacks, or whether we push our fullbacks up onto their wingbacks and play effectively with a double pivot ourselves to pick up their their two tens. So I think I I'm I was sort of wondering whether we'll see yeah, it, it will broadly look like a like a four four two, I think. But I, I wonder whether in in operation it might look more more like a four two 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 so that you've got got our our front two picking up their their back three that maybe that our two wingers might come a bit more narrow to kind of to press the eights um and whether um yeah whether our we, we play a double pivot to pick up the tens and push the full backs up onto their wing backs but I think that leaves me concerned about the amount of space that that will leave in behind uh, f- um, for them to exploit. So yeah, it just caused a real headache for me this morning, kind of trying to work out what, what our likely structure is going to look like. And I, I, I didn't come to any particular conclusion, but but just thought it, it does present some really, really interesting problems that I thought it'd be interesting to talk about on here. Yeah, I mean, I've been on record talking about the the defensive midfield position when we've had Phillips out and that it's allowed us at certain times to to just sort of go with two eights and know that if anyone drifts into that space behind they're going to be tracked by a by a fullback and I think you know we saw that with we saw that with Wolves as well right is it going to be the same sort of thing where the where they're going to have a sort of central striker and then the two tens are sort of going to float around behind they're going to be tracked by the fullbacks and then you you track the the midfield runners but I can't really see you know Jorginho Kovacic 
Kante necessarily breaking into that space. So I would, I would, my hunch is that we will probably go with push the 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 defensive midfielder forward, leave that space in behind, and have the the two wing backs tracking. Um, Joe, what, what's your take on this? Is, have you got any thoughts on this? I think we'll see the fullbacks marking uh, Chelsea's tens. That's my personal opinion, just because. Like like Darren was saying, the the knock on effect of um, having our fullbacks mark Chelsea's wingbacks is that you have to have um, Rafinha and Costa, let's say, um, really narrow on Kovacic and Jorginho, um, and I'm just not sure that I can see that happening. I think um, one thought that I did have this morning was that um, I wonder if we'd consider playing Dallas um, as a winger, basically, um, which will mean that he can mark one of the wingbacks. Um, let's say the fullbacks and um, Ailing and Alioski are marking the tens, getting dragged around. Um, I don't really trust Rafinha and Costa to be marking Alonso and James. I think that's too much of a mismatch. So I wondered if we'd see perhaps Dallas and Ailing both on the same side and Dallas playing more of a um, out as an out winger role just um, for that defensive, um, so he can mark Alonso basically, um, which I don't think we've seen this season. And so it's quite a rogue shout from me, but I just wondered about that this morning. I suspect it raises questions about whether or not Harrison will start as well. I, I think he will. I think he has to, um, because I think if if, you, if you're going to entrust one of your wingers to pick up Reese James uh, or to, to to get involved in that press, because our press is going to need to be super effective, I think, then I think it has to be Harrison rather than Costa. So in terms of then the, the central midfield options, if 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 we are, I mean, I I just kind of think you have to play Dallas central in this in this game so if you play uh, Dallas and then I suppose Phillips against their two central midfielders um, that that leaves you with yeah I, I suppose you've, you've got to play Alioski as a, as a left back um, Ailing as a right back and then you've got your two defenders in um, I guess Urente and Cooper um, and then Rafinha on the right and Harrison on the left or Rafinha on the left and Costa on the right and then Bamford up front and then someone behind right that is that is that the best the best iteration yeah but if we're saying that the full backs are likely to pick up the tens and that means you've got Alioski up against it'll be Hudson Odoi probably or or Ziyech yeah and, and and I'm not I'm not entirely certain that I feel comfortable <laughs> with that <laughs> so so I think so whilst I broadly agree that we need Dallas in there for the control and for, for the way that he kind of you know this is more zonal uh, pressing and 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 is more aware of space. I also think I also would be would be, would be more comfortable with him at left back in some ways, which is th- just one of the multiple headaches that this Chelsea lineup presents. I wondered if we'd also see what I think we saw against Leicester, which is where Dallas and Alioski are both sort of playing left back. Um, I mean, it's that's that's a consequence of the man marking. But I wonder if we'll see Dallas in midfield, but ready to cover Alioski or double up if both James and Hudson-Odoi, let's say, are attacking down that side, then Dallas just shifts over on, into the left-back position to, to help out. I think the reason why we probably won't do that, or at least if we do, I mean, the reason we did that against Leicester was so that we could get Harrison in the forward press. Now, if we did that, does that mean that we then drop whoever we've got in the in the forward press now which is Rodrigo or Roberts and then bring in Click and then have Click and Phillips as the central midfield options and again I I I think that's an option but I I just think that Bielsa is going to want to try and get Rodrigo involved somehow um so I I'm not sure about that one um I like that idea because I think Dallas is great at at following 
a wide player into central spaces and then inverting in build-up phases. And I think Alioski's fine as a as a sort of wing back in that sort of situation. Um, but I just don't think that I don't. I just can't see Bielsa bringing off either Roberts or Rodrigo and and just being willing to just go with someone like Click. Um, as as the other central midfielder there, but I, I do think it's interesting because I, you know I think obviously Chelsea have got um, great central players, um, but I don't I just don't see them really progressing the ball through those central players carrying it through the centre of the field. So like I'm not completely wedded on the idea that we have to have Stuart Dallas in the middle. I would probably prefer him there just just for a bit of uh, you know sort of solidity and and to to make sure that you know whoever is in those two spots isn't just going to dominate the game uh, in terms of sort of passing the ball around. One of the things I am worried about, because I think this this was one of the times when it was most brutally exposed last time, is is the is the centre-backs carrying the ball into the midfield area and, and, and pinging passes off and kind of beating our press that way. And I think that's the reason why I prefer Dallas there rather than anything to do with the midfielders necessarily. I think that will come down then to whether or not Thiago Silva plays, because I think of the, of the many centre-back options that Chelsea have, He's the one who's going to carry the ball, I and mean, he did it against us in the first um, fixture. So, but then I guess against against that, who 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 are, who are their other options? So they'll have Rudiger, they'll have Christensen, Aspilicueta. They've got Zuma and Aspilicueta as well. I just don't really see any of those players really marauding. So for me, it will come down to whether or not Thiago Silva is played as a, I, I, and I suspect maybe would be played ahead of um, Rudiger on the on the left, and, and given that opportunity to just sort of push forward from that space uh, but I guess we'll see we'll see how that goes um, and Tuchel hasn't been playing Thiago Silva for for whatever reason so as as Ram said you know there's maybe a sense in which he isn't going to be match fit but um, yeah all, all of those are are fascinating questions um, the thing we haven't really talked about we've talked a lot about defending because obviously we'll have to defend but we've not really talked that much about attacking, and I think this is where it comes down for me. I, like, I don't think that we're going to look truly horrendous in in, a, in defending situations, partly because I think that Chelsea are quite conservative in that respect. I do think, however, that this is going to be one of those games where we just look completely toothless in attack because they are sitting deep. They've got a back three. We've seen our we've seen us struggle against back threes to create. We've, we played 180 minutes uh, against Wolves and didn't score. Although, having said that, we did put up a huge amount of xG. So maybe I don't even agree with this. But uh, I, in terms of in terms of the chances that we create against back threes in this sort of three four three system, I feel as though we do tend to sort of end up going into wide areas, crossing the ball in and and you know, creating those sorts of chances which are probably a little bit over egged by um uh, Opta's XG models and stats bomb models are, are maybe a little bit closer on. So I think if you look at those Wolves games in terms of the XG on stats bomb, they're a lot uh, the, the the XG um aggregates are a little bit lower. But um they're also the sorts of chances that I don't have a huge amount of faith in us putting away right those those crosses into the box where you're against three big center backs and and they're just going to clean up all day long so my question is this what do we do <laughs> what do we do in attack like how are we gonna how are we gonna break down a sort of low-lying very well defensively coached Chelsea I suspect what we will do is we'll give it to Rafinha and hope for the best <laughs> <laughs> and inshallah right yeah but in in terms of uh you know how how we'd like to see it. I think I think you're right. I think I would like to see less of a reliance on kind of just getting because because they will give up a certain amount of space out wide. I think um, in in you know in attacking areas, and I think you're right. We will be able to get crosses into the box, but I think it's about I think it's 
we've got to be a bit a bit smarter about how we do it because I think we we quite often you know kind of lump the ball in and around the six yard box and that makes it easy for the keepers and the centre backs to kind of um, to try and to pick it up. So I think we we need to be looking for the sort of interplay that was that was more common during Bielsa's first season where we're trying to look to get to the byline in those kind of half spaces. Um, which we, which we haven't really seen. I don't think we've really seen us doing that as much recently. And I think that's maybe because it's been better scouted and that that teams are, are well set up defensively. But um, I think we need to try and find some way to to yeah to try and create a smaller number of better chances rather than just kind of lumping the ball in the box and kind of hoping for the best. Because we know that we know that although Bamford's got a lot of a lot of strengths, I think that that kind of necessarily getting on the end of crosses isn't one of them. So I think maybe trying to find a combination of late runners and trying to get into smarter areas, plus giving it to Rafinha and hope for the best, are sort of uh, are going to be uh, the ways forward. Yeah, I think I agree with Darren in that uh, Rafinha will be pretty central to, to our attack. Um, obviously, one way that we could hurt them is on the counter-attack. We know that their wing-backs get ridiculously high. Um, so... If if Rafinha's playing on the right hand side and Alonso's behind him, I mean I know Rafinha in well potentially would be trying to man mark him, but um, I think Rafinha can certainly have him for pace. Um, and if Alonso's caught too high up the pitch, then then you're looking at Rafinha on a one v one with either a centre back or maybe a defensive midfielder that's shifted over. Um, so I think that's that's certainly one way that I can see us having some space is is releasing it to Rafinha quickly on the counter-attack. In terms of if we're just looking to break Chelsea down, um, I do agree that it's going to be really, really difficult. Um, and I think it's just going to need to be moving the ball around, getting our full-backs involved in the play. So whether that's Dal- Dallas, and Alios- uh, Dallas and Ailing or Alioski and Ailing, um, I think they're going to need to get involved in the build-up play and just lots of little one-twos um, to try and shift them out of position. If we can shift those three centre-backs out of position, maybe Bamford dropping wide, something like that, um, just to make things a bit uncomfortable for them. But yeah, I think we're going to really struggle apart from on the counter-attack, basically. I wonder if Tuchel will play Ben well ahead of Alonso for the for the very reason that you suggested there um, in the, you know, Rafinha against Alonso versus Rafinha against Chilwell will probably look like a completely different battle. Um, right, let's start talking about then who we're worried about on the uh, Chelsea team. Let's try and limit this to a couple of players. Um, Darren, we'll go with you first. Who, who are you particularly worried about? Mason Mount. I think he. I think he's just he's superb, and I think he's he's got the potential to cause us a lot of damage. But but also, I I, I am worried about their about about them getting their wing backs involved and kind of causing us a lot of problems that way. So I think I think it'd be it's somewhat probably somewhat you know, just so I'll leave Joe a couple of players, I'd probably say Reese James and Mason Mount are the two players that give me the most pause for, for worry. Would you add anyone to that list, Joe? Yeah, we've just spoken about him, but I'll add Alonso as well. Um the thing that my housemate likes to say is that Alonso is absolutely terrible in a back four, but as a wing back, um he's really, really good. And I haven't quite seen as uh, as much of Chelsea as him and I kind of take his word for it like I've seen Alonso in the past few games as a win back um, and he's looked fantastic he gets so high up the pitch um, I mean obviously he's taking huge risks like we say there could be a lot of space in behind him but if he does play I think uh, that will worry me just having his threat on the left hand side paired with whoever's also on that side maybe Werner maybe Hudson Odoi um, I think that's going to be really difficult to control Right, and then let's move on to talk about 
who needs to play well for Leeds. So, Joe, who do you think has to has to get things right on on Saturday? I think from an attacking point of view, um, like we've just said, I think Rafinha. Um, we will be looking to him to cause some havoc. Um, defensively, if Harrison does play, I think we're going to need a good defensive performance from him because he's going to be. Well, it, it depends who he's man-marking, but if he's on Reese James, for example, um, we're going to need a really good defensive performance from them, uh, from Harrison. And I'll I'll do the same thing and I'll leave Darren a couple because uh, I, there's a risk of just saying everyone on the whole team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Darren, where are you going with this? Given some of his difficulties in front of goal in the last game, I think we, we know that Bamford's not going to get many chances in this game and I think I think we will need him to take any that he does get um, in, in, in this game and I, I don't want to to sound like one of those, you know, oh, it's bloody crap fucking <laughs> nonsense bullshit type, but, but we do need him to take the chances that he gets in this game because they are most likely to fall to him. Um, I think other than that, I would say that... that um, it's more the unit of the press that I that I think needs to, to work well in order for us to get anything out of this game because we need we need to win the ball high up the pitch in areas where we're going to cause them problems. Otherwise, I don't think we're going to cause them many problems. Um, so I'd be I'd be really interested to see that. And one final thing is that I think Melier is going to have quite a bit to do and he's going to need to do it well. I would maybe add whoever's marking Mason Mount. So I guess that's going to be Luke Ayling. Uh, don't envy don't envy his task for the for the afternoon. Um, and I suppose, I suppose as well, our centre backs against Timo Werner, who is, I think, going to be one of the quickest players that they have to deal with. And um, <laughs> that's probably the best way to sum it up, Darren. Um, right? How's the game going to pan out, Darren? I think we'll look good for quite a bit of it. I, I think we'll, 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 we might cause them a few problems early on, but I think just much like last time, I think gradually as the game goes on, um, they'll get a stranglehold on the game and I kind of view Chelsea as because because I, I've long been of the view that I think they've got the play, best playing staff in the division and, and that I thought their only weakness was, was in the dugout I now view them as a team without any weaknesses so I, I, I just see them gradually taking control of the game and um, and yeah, that that as the game goes on, we'll, we'll, the memory of us playing well will stay with us in the early part of the game. But the reality of the game will be that they'll they'll very much take control. And I think I don't think they'll you know I don't think I think they'll still be quite conservative. I don't see us getting hammered, but I do see them winning quite comfortably. It's hard not to agree, really. I, th- I do think Chelsea will take control. Um, one thing that I'll just throw into the mix. Um, is our pitch? We know what that's like, oh, for and fuck's sake. <laughs> I know. But the, I'm going to spin it in a positive way and and say that um, Leeds are at least used to the disaster of our pitch. Um, and Chelsea obviously haven't been to Ellen Road this season. Um, maybe that's going to be a small factor in that they might not feel they can play their usual football, and you know, at least at least Leeds are used to it. So. If we can somehow use that to our advantage and, you know, I think we'll need a bit of luck, but maybe we could get a, a result, maybe we could get a point, but it's hard not to see Chelsea controlling this one. Well, that, that'll be fun, won't it, Joe? <laughs> <laughs> I know, watching with my housemate, it's going to be a nightmare. So there you have it. That's the All Stats on We Chelsea preview out of the way. If you like what we do, then you're in luck. There's plenty of ways that you can listen to more stuff that we do. Again, I'll just reiterate that tonight, 8pm on Thursday, is the day when the first episode of Auto's List goes out, a scouting series that we are running here for the next few weeks. That will be up on our YouTube and it will be out on Periscope through our Twitter account as well. 
if you have missed that live show then you can go back and listen to it on the very podcast aggregator that you're listening to this podcast on or you can go across to our youtube and watch the video of it and there will be lots of visual elements to this show so it might be worth watching on youtube other than that you can also go across to our patreon channel where we have bonus video analyses and podcasts over there uh, that's www.patreon.com forward slash all stats aren't we we'll be back on Sunday with a review episode of the Chelsea game but until then all I have to do is to say thank you Joe. Thanks. And thank you Darren. Thank you. And we'll be back later this week. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started 